Hi, I'm Jen. Hi, I'm Sarah. And this is your Fruitful 15, where small changes in your daily habits can yield big results. What are we talking about today, Jen? Hey, Sarah, I was thinking we could talk about stress management. This is a big one, man. I think this one will be interesting to a lot of people because a lot of people are stressed out. (laughs) So true, especially this last year, right? Yeah, man. It's just compounded on itself, right? Yes. So let's talk about stress management and poor stress management specifically and its effects on health. Do you want to start us off? Yeah. Stress, besides feeling uncomfortable just overall, is just not good actually for our body. Very importantly, there is a strong link between stress and cardiovascular disease. And we know that cardiovascular disease is the number one killer in the United States. So the fact that there's a clear link between stress and cardiovascular disease should make us very interested in managing our stress. Absolutely. What other effects do you know about, Jen? Well, in my first job as a PA was in GI. And so we would often see gastric ulcers associated with stress just from increased gastric acid, but really every body system can be affected by excess stress. Yeah. I actually worked in primary care when I didn't move into full-time teaching. And just anecdotally, I feel like almost all of my visits or at least 80% of them were stress-related. You know, the patient would come in with some kind of concern We'd get to talking about it and it would come out that really this was, there was something going on in their life that was stress related that they weren't managing or they weren't able to manage. Right. And I know you just said anecdotal, but your observations is exactly in line with the science. So your 80% was what the evidence actually says about the amount of primary care visits that happen for stress related issues. So Kudos to you for being like on the nose with that. But I was shocked to learn that. I was not aware of that. But when I was studying for our ACLM certification, I learned that. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. We spend a lot of time talking to our patients about nutrition and physical activity and sleep as we should. Right. But we really have to take care of this stress piece because physiologically, when we're stressed, we're producing this hormone called cortisol. Dun, dun, dun. I know. Like all hormones, cortisol has a good and a bad side, right? And we need cortisol in just the right amount to function as human beings. But when we have a lot of it for a long time, especially, that can be a problem. We get into this space where we're in fight or flight mode. When we used to be cave people, life was simpler, but we were more (laughs) worried about being killed by a lion. (laughs) And so our bodies adapted to that and they made this stress response hormone cortisol that would help us to either fight the lion or run away from the lion, which is what I would choose in that situation. But when our cortisol is elevated all the time and there isn't really a lion, there's just mean emails from your boss or a pandemic or (laughs) technology issues or your car has a flat tire and all of that adds up. Your body's in fight and flight mode all the time. And that impacts your ability to eat well, your ability to sleep, your ability to move, 
you're mean to everybody around you. So it affects your social connections and it does make you more likely to want a glass of wine. So it's not good for substances either. That's so true. And I love how you just pull that all together. Beautiful. And, you know, one thing you mentioned was that when we have higher levels of circulating cortisol, it can be harder to sleep because we're all amped up and we're not going to be able to sleep well. And then it's cyclic because we know that good sleep helps cortisol to go back down to baseline level, right? So cortisol diminishes when we get good sleep, which is what you want. That's the normal healthy cycle. So there's another evil cycle that happens when we're not sleeping because we're all amped up and then cortisol never goes back down and then it just stays elevated and can lead to those chronic problems that you mentioned like cardiovascular disease and like I mentioned gastric ulcers. So really all the problems. Yeah. These are so intimately connected, the stress and the sleep, they're just really entangled with each other. And I think that's one of the reasons I feel like patients have or all of us, I should say, have a hard time addressing this issue is that cyclical piece of it that you mentioned. Like it's just so hard to break out of that cycle. And then when you layer on top of that other mental health issues, which obviously stress can exacerbate other mental health conditions like anxiety and depression. So if we have all of that going on in the mix, it's really hard to get the help we need. So true. So true. And stress is really a continuum, right? So when we see a lot of stress in someone, they might be more prone to burnout, just feeling overwhelmed all the time. And then as we go further down the continuum, we can see depression, which depression on its own is not always caused by stress. It can be caused by a multitude of reasons, which we can maybe go into at another podcast but obviously can be exacerbated by chronic stress. And then of course, when depression is untreated and at its worst can cause suicide. And so obviously something that we all wanna be paying careful attention to is managing the stress and really being in a place where we can use stress as our friend, right? And as something that helps motivate us rather than hinders us. So this is something I would love to hear your take on about that. Yeah, I just love what you said about stress being something that can help us learn and grow because this idea of a continuum, there's this idea of distress. Whenever we put a di in front of something in medicine, it means it's not good, right? Disease, distress, right? (laughs) And then there's you stress, which means just good or neutral stress. So stress can be good. Like when we stress our bodies doing exercise, for example, within a reasonable limit, our cardiovascular system responds, our body responds, we rise to that, our body's more adapted to our environment. But when stress is distress or it's chronic or we just don't adapt well to it, we use maladaptive tools to address it, then it can become a real chronic issue. It can lead to chronic health problems or it can lead us down that continuum into burnout and further perpetuate things like depression and anxiety. Exactly. Exactly. So what do we know about the positive parts of stress management with regard to our physiology? Anything you want to comment on about that? Well, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. And also I know that managing our stress is so great from a physiological standpoint, because all of the things that we've talked about are reversed. So if we manage our stress well, we manage that cortisol or that excess cortisol And that leads to better blood sugar, 
to better blood pressure, better sleep at night. And when we get better sleep at night, then we're able to engage more in those health behaviors that are really helpful for us. So from a physiological and a psychological standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to manage our stress. What do you know about telomeres? (laughs) I was hoping you'd ask me that. (laughs) So there was this cool study that Dr. Dean Ornish did where he had people do some meditation and mindfulness and they measured these little caps on the end of our DNA that we call telomeres. And how I've heard telomeres described this, you know, on your shoelace, that little plastic piece that keeps it all from unraveling. So we have that on our DNA too, keeps our DNA all from unraveling. It's called our telomere, our telomeres. And so when we look at those telomeres, there's a theory that those can be a proxy for how long we will live. So if we're doing all the substances and not controlling our stress and eating poorly and not sleeping ever, if you look at those telomeres under a microscope, they actually look shortened and they look more unraveled, right? And if you look at someone who's taking all of the healthy steps that we've been talking about for the last 10 episodes, those telomeres often look healthier and longer. And so when Dr. Ornish did the study where he had people meditate and do mindful activities, they actually did a before and after on their telomeres and saw their telomeres actually get longer. I know, right? Just through stress management. Yes, so crazy. So for me, that was when I became a believer (laughs) in stress management, both, you know, something I wanted to talk to my patients about and also for myself personally that I started taking a lot more seriously because that was when it went from being woo-woo to evidence-based for me. We love it when things go from woo-woo to (laughs) evidence-based. We really do. But yeah, preserving the little ends of your shoelaces, which are (laughs) the things my children chew on, does sound like a pretty good idea, actually. So I could get on board with that. And I'm trying to really think about what made me on board with talking to people more about stress and thinking more about my stress. I feel like it was... Yeah, the science is very compelling about stress, but I am a big proponent of sleep as we have discussed in previous episodes (laughs) and the impact of stress on your sleep was convincing enough to me to really want to start looking into my own stress and my patient's stress. And so speaking of my own stress, I'm going to flip this actually on you. I want to hear what are some of your stress triggers? Oh, good question. So I think the big one for me is lack of sleep and it becomes cyclic for me, right? So if I'm stressed, I'm not sleeping and then I'm exhausted and I'm very sensitive to not sleeping well. I just feel super cranky and run down after one night of poor sleep, much like I think other people might feel after a week of not sleeping. It just affects me. I feel like more strongly than the average bear. And so yeah, that will stress me out. And then I go through the day thinking like, I didn't sleep well. So that for me is something that triggers my stress. And so Sarah, since you and I started doing more of these health coaching shows, one thing that I've started doing to help myself go to bed earlier, because that's part of my problem too, is I like to stay up late. is I set an alarm to go to bed. (laughs) So some people have to set an alarm to get up in the morning not me. 
I am up and out of bed like an energizer bunny, like 5.30 in the morning, no problem. But it's hard for me to go to bed. So I set my alarm for nighttime so I will remember to go to sleep. That is a good tool right there. (laughs) How about you? Tell me what causes stress for you and maybe if you've come up with a life hack for it. This is actually perfect because yesterday I had an extremely stressful pre-evening hour or two in the hours between five and seven. And those times are stressful anyway in our household. I have two young children and five to seven is when everybody's getting home. Everybody wants something. You have to get dinner on the table. You have to get everybody bathed. You have to get everybody into bed. So there's just a lot of demand and everybody's tired, grouchy, and hungry. So it's already a stressful time normally I am very good about putting a boundary around. I'm not going to check my email during those two hours because it never ends well for me. But for some reason yesterday, I decided to check my email. I think my brain was just wanting some reward. I think I was on autopilot and I just opened up my phone and checked my email. And there was an email from someone asking me to do something that I definitively do not want to do. But I could feel it in my body. Like I felt all of my muscles tense. My brain immediately went into no, 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 like a toddler. (laughs) I don't want to do that. I'm mad. I'm defensive. I'm running from a lion. Wasn't that right about the time I sent you an email to do this podcast today? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was like, what? I will strategically say a person. No, no. I was your lion, Sarah. (laughs) You're my lion. No, this podcast is definitely stress relief for me. But my lesson, it's very important for me to have those boundaries. And one of the ways that I, if I cross that boundary and I try to multitask, I try to take care of my kids and look at my email, it never goes well. And so just having those boundaries, doing things that aren't emotionally arousing to me in already vulnerable times. Like at bedtime, it's not a good idea for me to scroll social media. Yes. That's not going to end well for me. (laughs) Hard pass. Bedtime social media. There is going to be a post that is going to emotionally yes. incite you. That's yes. just, it's designed to do that, right? It it's is. doing what it's designed to do. So avoiding that. And then I have tried really hard to do what's called a screen Sabbath, which is like where you don't look at your phone for a whole day. I have not succeeded yet in that. Maybe a listener has a tip about how to get that done. I'm almost always like, well, what if so-and-so has an emergency or... I don't know. I just haven't been able to do it yet. But getting regular breaks from screens is a really good tip for decreasing stress, in my opinion. That's a great tip. Love that. Yeah. Do you have any other ones? Mm, So you mentioned the screen Sabbath, which I think is a brilliant idea. I'm also in favor of just a Sabbath Sabbath, like in a secular Sabbath, right? So I think that can be really, really helpful. You just set aside one day a week where you plan for that to be your day of relaxation and self-care. That's super healthy. And what else? So I know I enjoy meditation myself, doing some mindful breathing. I tend to do a lot of mindful breathing throughout the day. Just doing 10 deep breaths every hour. I find that really helpful. How about for you? What else? Well, I just want to piggyback on your breaths because I feel like I want to tie that back into when we were talking about physiology and stress. Deep breathing is physiologically 
going to make you feel less stress. Yes. It is going to do that. It stimulates this nerve in your body called the vagus nerve, which sounds like a fun nerve, but it's not your fun nerve, (laughs) right? (laughs) But it stimulates that nerve and that's what helps you to feel more calm. It also just slows us down. I think the faster we're moving, the more we're trying to do, the more we're trying to like multitask and do all the things, the more likely we are to get to the end of the day and feel all of that just kind of piling onto you. So slowing down by taking those deep breaths. The secular Sabbath is such a wonderful idea. And I think that idea of putting boundaries around time that is just your time for doing something you love to do is really critical. And I struggle with that sometimes because I think, well, I still need to do X, Y, and Z. So should I just do this fun thing for me later? And then later never happens, you know? Right. So the way that I've found to coach myself through that is to say to myself, there's always going to be work. There's always going to be things that you could get done. Your work will take from you or whatever in your life is in there. It will take from you whatever it wants, whatever you give it. So you have to be responsible for saying it's time to stop now. And this is my time to do what I want to do. I like that idea. What else? Oh, the idea of, yeah, when you start to feel stressed, like today I was feeling a little bit stressed. I was like, I have so many things I have to do, including this podcast with Jen. (laughs) Jen the lion. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when it's time. Use that as a trigger to your brain. I'm a big fan of, oh, this is happening. I need to trigger that next behavior. And that next behavior is I'm going to double down on my self-care. This is not the time to let go of exercise. This is not the time to let go of sleep. You have a big deadline coming up. That's too bad deadline because I need to go exercise. So yes, a hundred percent. And something you said earlier, like when we start to feel stressed, that's when we might want to have that glass of wine or go eat that bag of French fries or something because your brain is looking for that dopamine hit, right? Or your body is just trying so hard to stay in balance and stay less stressed. And the body's like, I know what will help me a glass of wine. But like you said, that is the worst time that we can go for a glass of wine or a bag of fries. What we really need to do is just be more cognizant. And like you said, say, okay, this is when I double down. This is when I go for that walk, even if it's going to put me slightly behind and whatever I need to do, because I got to take care of myself and I am my priority. Yes, yes, yes. I can't say yes enough. I think sometimes we, our culture has taken self-care and made it into something that I don't think it really means. I think self-care is asking yourself, I've demanded X, Y, and Z of my body, my brain, and spirit today. What does my body and brain and spirit need back from me that I can give it and that only I can give it? And what does it truly need? And listening and honing in on what that really is. Not what you think it should be, right? Or what someone tells you it should be, but what do you really need in this moment? Ding, 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 ding. See, I'm giving you the bell. I don't have my... My doubt fell with me today, but there it is for you. Thank you. I love that definition, Sarah. That was awesome. Yeah, I think it takes the mindfulness, though, to really, truly listen to yourself and know what that is. Yes, it does. I think that's all the tricks and hacks that, well, and sleep, of course. And we've talked a lot about sleep in this episode, and we just want to say we're going to talk a lot about sleep in the next episode. Awesome. So... Maybe we could have some solutions for our listeners. And Sarah, you're always so good at coming up with holistic solutions in an evidence-based way. 
So tell me what your thoughts are. Yeah, I just think when we're thinking about solutions for a health issue, like if we're thinking about our stress, we should never be so myopic to think that the problem is just that area. We should think about all of the other pillars and how they're feeding into each other and how they're connected health and health problems or health promotion is always multifaceted. We need to consider all different angles of the problem. So one idea is to look at a CBT-free app. Do you have one in mind or like a cognitive-based therapy app? Let's see. I did have one for quite a while. And I think when I upgraded my phone, I lost it. But there's some excellent ones out there. You know, we can go under the app store and just free CBT app and CBT stands for cognitive behavioral therapy, which is just a fantastic tool for helping us to reset our brains and the way that we're processing stress and problems. And it's very, very evidence-based. There's a lot of them out there. There's MindShift, Self-Help for Anxiety Management or SAM, ACGME makes a good one, Talkspace. That's what I was thinking of, Talkspace. Great. So there yeah, are any of those ton of them out there. Great. What about you? What are you thinking about, especially with respect to other pillars? Yes. Yeah, so I love your idea of looking at all the pillars and you've mentioned this before, but oftentimes what we do in one pillar affects the others, whether it's for better or for worse. So I love that idea of thinking about ways to manage anxiety with, by using maybe some of the other pillars other than just stress management pillar. I would tend to look to nutrition because I'm a nutrition nerd and that's what I always think of first. Go to Midas, get a muffler, right? So nutrition, the answer for everything. But there's definitely some anti-inflammatory foods that we know can help reduce inflammation in the brain. And inflammation in the brain is often one of the players in terms of worsening or sometimes even creating anxiety and depression. So for example, arachidonic acid, it's an inflammatory fatty acid. So you hear about the fatty acids and often we think, oh, omega-3, omega-6, they're our friends, right? And omega-3 is definitely our friend. And in small quantities, omega-6 is our friend, but in larger quantities, omega-6 becomes our enemy. So arachidonic acid, It's an omega-6 fatty acid. It can adversely affect mental health and it can actually cause inflammation in your brain and high levels of arachidonic acid in the bloodstream have been associated with greater likelihood of suicidal risk, major depression. So how do we stay away from it? Well, in the United States, primarily we're exposed to arachidonic acid through two foods, chicken and eggs. Dun, dun, dun. So when we move chicken and eggs and other meat, we eliminate the preformed arachidonic acid. Boom. Now, if you want to just eliminate the bad stuff, that's great. If you want to actually deflame your brain, so you want to go from surviving to thriving, as we like to say, then you might consider not only removing the stuff that is causing inflammation, that's like throwing gasoline on the inflammation fire, but then also add in some foods that are going to help inflammation. So one of our favorite, one of Sarah's and my favorite sources is Nutrition Facts. And on there, there's some great evidence-based sources and studies about how three foods in particular help decrease brain inflammation. And that is blueberries, 
dark leafy greens, no surprise since they do everything well. And then also a plant-based omega-3. So we recommend an algae-based omega-3 because fish don't naturally contain omega-3, although everyone thinks like, oh, fish oil, omega-3. But fish don't make it. There's nothing intrinsic in fish that contains omega-3. They get their omega-3 from eating algae. So we say skip the middle fish and just get your omega-3 from algae. And there's lots of suppliers online, like on Amazon, or if you choose not to shop on Amazon, which is, I feel like, becoming more popular lately, other places that can supply it to you as well. So just an algae-based omega-3 every day. And the DHA is more important than the EPA if you're looking at labels. That is such great information. And I especially love things you can add in to deflame your brain, like the blueberries (laughs) and the dark leafy greens and the algae. I actually put some seaweed in my grocery cart earlier this week. And my husband was like, who's eating seaweed? And I was like, me. I mean, I know it's two (laughs) different things, but it's good to have diversity in your diet. It's always good. And seaweed actually is not worthless. It's a great source of iodine, which we're all for that. It's it's like a very stable, healthy source of iodine. So go Sarah. Go me. Yes. And I also think it's worth mentioning things. We could talk hours and hours about exercise and we did do an episode on exercise. And I don't know if we talked about exercise and stress management, but for sure, exercise is strongly linked with mood. There's been lots of great studies about exercise and mood. Some that have even demonstrated that exercise can be as effective as medications in managing depression and anxiety. Yes. Isn't that inspiring? Yes. It gives me such hope. Yeah. Obviously being social and connecting with people is a great way to manage your stress. I know that's difficult right now, but just connecting with people however you can and in a safe way avoiding those substances. Substances, even though they make you maybe feel good in the moment, generally are going to actually cause dopamine crashes later that are going to make you feel worse. Caffeine, which you know I love coffee, but if we're drinking an excess of caffeine, that can make us actually feel more stressed and be harder on our cardiovascular system. So monitoring our caffeine intake, deep breathing we talked about, so great. Yeah, but just using mindfulness, using perspective and reframing also to manage your stress as well. So everything from every pillar, you can feed it into this stress management pillar. I love that. And Sarah, you brought up one of my favorite techniques and that's reframing. And just in case our listeners aren't as familiar with that one, should we maybe give an example of how there might be a stressful event that someone feels like, how could this be anything but stressful? But how might we reframe that? I like to reframe by thinking about what the learning opportunity is in the moment. You know, what can I take away from this? Last night when I was having the stress response to the email, later when I had a moment to bring myself back into a self-regulated place, I asked myself, what can I take away from that? And the takeaway is, don't look at your email after 5 p.m. (laughs) So there's that. And I think it's important to make the distinction between reframing and then being a Pollyanna. Reframing isn't necessarily, this is really terrible, but it could be so much worse. Look at me. Sometimes when you're eating a poopy sandwich, you're eating a poopy sandwich and it sucks, (laughs) right? So it's okay to acknowledge that, but to also think about 
what can I take away from this that might be good for me or help me to grow? That's how I approach it. How do you approach it, Jen? I love what you just said. Yes. And I think there is a fine line between reframing and the Pollyanna. And Pollyanna probably doesn't serve us well in the long term, but I do think there's a lot of benefit to the reframing. You know, like with your example, I love that you like, yes, there's a lesson here and I will remember going forward, this is not my best life to be doing that. And even a few days later, you might say, hey, I haven't done that again, which shows me that I'm someone who has a great sense of self-control and has a vision for my life. And I'm doing a great job of staying connected to that vision. And it's okay to experiment once in a while and see how it goes when I, you know, might try looking at email here or there. But most of the time I realize that my best life is to not be on that between five and seven. And I feel great now that I I'm aware of that. I'm learning about what works best for me and I can follow through on that. That might be a way you could reframe a little bit. I really like that because you're really enforcing your self-efficacy and empowering yourself to keep doing that. And sometimes we're the only person, you know, we should be one of the only people who gives ourselves that gift of, hey, you can do this. You can do hard things. You really can. 100%. Well, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't also say that it's a good tool to use stress reduction, our goals, right? Make stress reduction goals. Sometimes we say vague things like I should really work on my stress or I should reduce my stress. Remember, if we're vague like that, it's just not going to happen. So thinking about specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound goals with respect to stress is really critical, I think. Love that. So for example, I set my alarm for 9 p.m. every night because I put a priority on getting good sleep. Love it. And I, instead of looking at my email, I have a glass of water on my porch while I'm waiting for the kids to come home every day at five o'clock. Ah, great. That's my stress management goal. I love that. Well, I feel like that is a fantastic way to wrap up this episode. How do you feel about that? I feel like it is wonderful. Do you have any key takeaways? I think for me, a key takeaway would be 80% of primary care visits are somehow or another stress-related. That stress is the underlying cause that needs to be treated, right? And also that there's fabulous things that we can do in our everyday lifestyle habits, such as eating more berries and less chicken and less eggs and can make us a lot healthier and happier. How about you? What are your takeaways? I will say that no one's taking my coffee away from me. (laughs) Don't even try it. (laughs) Yeah. I agree with you. Stress is out there. It's critical. We need to talk about it. And we have lots of tools at our disposal to help ourselves manage our stress. But I think one of the most important tools is what you've said about breathing and mindfulness, like connecting with ourselves every day and really asking ourselves, what do I need? And then meeting those needs, much like we would a kiddo or a dog, if you're a dog parent. That's really critical. 
So we're going to talk about sleep in our next episode, but between now and then, give us a call at 928-793-1353 and check out our show notes if you have any questions or comments. Fantastic. And if you haven't already, if you could leave us a review, uh, whatever your preferred pod player is, we would be so grateful. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for letting us join your healthy journey. And we know everybody's journey is different. So thank you for letting us be on it with you. This has been your Fruitful 15, where you can change your life in just 15 minutes a day. 